This month's sermon series, we're starting a new series tonight, as you know, this month's sermon series is titled, The Transfer of a Godly Heritage. The Transfer of a Godly Heritage. It's kind of looking at uh, what all the sermons are going to be preached this, this month, and uh, they're just all outstanding, and so I'm looking forward to hearing from, you know, Pastor Danny and Brother Matt, Brother Manny Free, and uh, it's really going to be a great, great month. Uh, so I, I want to encourage you to come out. Uh, you know, as believers, we're commanded to teach our, our children uh, the things of God, our children and our grandchildren. It's our responsibility to do that, to teach them. I was reading an article the other day, and it just so happened to uh, line up uh, uh, with what I'm preaching tonight. And it said that students involved in a research project at the University of Illinois uh, called 2,000 Homes at Random between midnight and 2 a.m., so this was a project that the students at the University of Illinois had to do. Between 12, a, uh, between 12 midnight and 2 a.m., they, they called 2,000 homes at random uh, on a Friday night in the city of Chicago to see if parents knew where their children were. Between 12 and 2 a.m., they called and asked parents if they knew where their children were. And s- listen to this. In 75% of the homes called... A child answered and didn't know where the parents were. (laughs) And that is not a joke. They didn't know where their parents were. It's kind of alarming, uh, parents, because we do have a responsibility. Uh, As parents, we have a responsibility to to raise our children to be there for them. you know, it's, it's really kind of crazy because in today's society, there's so many things that we have. We have more material possessions than we've ever had, I think, any generation before us. I, I know I didn't grow up with all the things my kids have and all my grandkids have. I didn't have that. I mean, you remember, I mean, you know, when it rained, you know, when I was a kid, that was an exciting time. Because all you had to do was find a popsicle stick, and then you'd go at the end of the street, and you'd race it down the, remember, in the gutter, the, the water? That, that was our toy. You, you, you couldn't wait until the toilet paper ran out, so you could, you know, with the, the roll, remember that? Or, uh, I mean, you know, the, the things these kids have now to play is, is just amazing. The, the material possessions, even us. I mean, you know, when our first cars, we bought cash. My first one, I paid $175 for it. And it was a, you know, I mean, it was a piece of junk. <laughs> and, and those of you that are my age, most of us, that's the way we started, didn't we? You know, and, and, and we loved it. We washed it. It had dents and all, man. We just washed it and waxed it and took care of it. But this generation has more possessions and more social advantages than any generation before us. The prospects of life are a lot longer now. People are living longer now. You know, because of medicine and and everything else, it's just people living longer now, longer than they ever did before. There's unequaled opportunities in education, Unequaled opportunities and leisure and recreation and, and entertainment. I mean, the things that we can be entertained now is, is amazing. And again, those of us that grew up, you know, my age, what is there, I think there's three channels on TV. Remember that? There was only three. Channel 2, Channel 4, and Channel 7, I think. And that was it. 
Man, we now have, what, over 100 channels to look at. Then our kids tell us, you know, we don't have nothing to do. It's like, you know, God, there's so many things you can do. Not just on TV, but I mean, just so many things. In spite of all of that, families today face a lot of hardship. They face a lot of conflict. The reason is because this world is deceiving. This world is deceiving. This world tells you and I, if we don't gather all of these things, we won't be happy. That we need new cars, that we need new houses, that we need this furniture or that TV or, uh, you know, I was watching TV the other day, an advertisement, you know, just a beautiful refrigerator with a TV on it. Oh my gosh. We were lucky if we just had a refrigerator. Didn't even have a TV. Now you can get a refrigerator with a TV. Read this story. So long ago, there lived a man who sold pork as a butcher. He had never bought any pigs. Rather, he slaughtered wild pigs by the hundreds. If I understand, wild pig is pretty, pretty good, delicious. It says, a man from a neighboring town asked him one day, how do you catch all those wild pigs? The man replied, it's easy. He says, I just stick a big bucket of food out there down low enough for the piglets. Then when the piglets come to eat, the parents follow. So while they're getting used to it, each day I, I, I start putting up a fence at night. He says, just one side. Then I do another side every night till all I have left is a gate. Eventually they come in, distracted by the sweetness of the food. I close the gate without their ever knowing what had happened. Every day these pigs would just come eat. Parents would follow these little pigs, and every night they'd come and eat. And every night this man would just build a little bit of a fence, a little bit of a fence, to finally all there was was just an opening for a gate. Pigs would come in and eat, built the gate, shut it, had his pigs. We need to teach our children and our grandchildren to recognize the emotional fences and the spiritual fences that Satan wants to put up in their minds and in their hearts and in their lives. Got to teach our children the financial fences and the relational fences that, that the devil wants to deceive us and trick us into. It's a dangerous time. We can't overlook the importance of training our children in the Word of God. It's crucial. It's important. And all this month, we're going to hear about areas in our lives and our families that are necessary to maintain a godly home. But tonight, I'm going to be speaking on the power of godly parents and, and grandparents. The power of godly parents and grandparents. And for those of you that aren't parents or those of you that aren't grandparents, uh, everything you're going to hear this month is going to help you. you you'll just need it for different reasons. But I don't want you just to tune out this month's series and go, well, I'm not a parent, I'm not a grandparent, so none of this will apply to me. All of it's going to apply to you. All of it. But as parents, especially, we need to listen because God's going to have some good things for you and I. But it's going to apply to all relationships. It will help you all, even though if you're not a parent or a grandparent. Read the story again. It said, after putting her grandchildren to bed... Grandmother changed into old slacks and a droopy blouse and proceeded to wash her hair. 
As she heard the children getting more and more disorderly, her patience grew thin. Finally, she threw a towel around her head and stormed into their room, putting them back to bed with strict warnings. As she left the room, she heard the three-year-old boy saying with a trembling voice, Who was that? <laughs> First thing I want to look at tonight is leaving a godly inheritance. Leaving a godly inheritance. I want to look at this month's scripture for uh, our, our series. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 5 through 9. This will be our text for our series for this month. It says, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And the scripture says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We, had a, well, we have a couple of pastor seminars during the year and um, I think it was a couple of years ago, um, it's called Refresh and it's a really great time for us as pastors as we get together. This particular one that we call Refresh uh, Pastor Salazar and Sister Nancy started a few years ago, and we just get together in fellowship. They bring some direction, but a lot of it is just uh, just a time, a couple of days, just to just to relax and unwind and enjoy each other's company. And you know, we're all friends, and you know, pastors and our pastors' wives. We just don't have time to to fellowship and get together. And so, uh, this was created. We can just get together and just let our hair down and enjoy. And Sister Nancy will take the women aside, say, you know, for one of the sessions and just talk, and they, I don't know what they talk about. And Pastor Salazar does the same thing with the men, with the pastors, and uh, just really good things that we can talk about. But I remember a couple of years ago, he asked the pastors, and he said, what, what, what do you want to accomplish in your life? When you die, what, what, do, you, what do you want to leave behind? And it was just so interesting listening to all the pastors, the things that they want to accomplish in their life. Of course, many of them want to plant churches. They, they want to establish as many churches as they possibly can for the kingdom of God. And others, you know, salvation, to see as many people as they can get saved. There's, there was a bunch of different things, and I'm listening to them, and uh, I, I just loved everything that everybody had to say. But I remember I was sitting there and I was kind of starting on that side of the room and I, it kind of went around and I was one of the last ones to, to, to speak. And, and all I could think about, and, and I've spoken about my father-in-law before because he made such an impact on my life. And I remember sitting there thinking about my father-in-law, my wife's dad. And you know, again, I mentioned he died about 20 years ago. And I, I remember him on his deathbed. And uh, before he died, he asked uh, you know, if all the family could come. And so his children were there, all his grandchildren were there, and his wife was there, my mother-in-law was there. And we're just all standing around his bed, and they were going to start shooting him up with morphine because he had cancer, and he, you know, it was going to be painful, and they didn't want him to suffer. So um, they told him, we're going to start shooting you up with morphine. He said, can you just hang on? I want my family to come, and I want to talk with them uh, before you do that, because at that point, he was going to be out of it. <laughs> 
And I remember standing there, and I was kind of at the foot of his bed, and I remember him looking at each one. His grandsons, his granddaughters, his children, looked at me and just stared. Stared at all of us, just stared at us. And he just smiled, nodded his head. Look at the next one. Smiled, nodded his head. He did that with each one of us. And I remember standing there going, amazing. This man was able to look at each one of his family members in the eye with no regrets. No regrets. None. None. I remember thinking, I want to do that. I want to, at the end of my life, to be able to look at each one of my family members in the eye with no regrets, but none. The legacy that that man left behind, the impact he made in my life was amazing. He was a fantastic husband, an unbelievable grandfather, an amazing father to me and his other children. Just, just a hard worker. Except for the Lord late in his life. That's probably the only regret he might have had that he didn't surrender his life to the Lord sooner, but nevertheless he did. And for me, I know there's men that have made impact in my life and have taken care of that area of my life. They've made impact in me spiritually and taught me things. But that man just taught me how to be a husband, a father, grandfather, just an amazing man. And I remember as Pastor Salazar was going around, I remember I was standing there thinking, I want to leave a legacy behind, like he did. Legacy. Something that my kids can take with them for the rest of life is what he gave me, and I was able to take for the rest of my life. And I understood that a good legacy isn't something you just wish for. A good legacy is something you have to work for. It's a lifestyle. It's something you've got to do and apply your life every single day of your life. What do you think your legacy is going to be? What do you think your legacy is going to be? Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 22 says these words. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And so we think of an inheritance in terms of money. We think of an inheritance as terms of valuable possessions. When we think of inheritance, we think of property, but it's so much more than that. We need to leave our children and our grandchildren so much more than just things. Because when God calls us home, we're going to leave behind a spiritual legacy, church. A spiritual legacy. Because see, a spiritual legacy will long outlive us. Second thing I want to talk about is following the proper authority. If we can get our children to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Bible promises us then all the other things they need will be given to them. 
the same as us. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. That same principle applies to our children, to our grandchildren. We've got to give them. We've got to train them in the things of God because we want them to be blessed. So where do we go for our guidance as, for par- as parents? Where do we go for our guidance as grandparents? Where, where do you go? Where do I go? Because there's so many sources, isn't there? There's so many places we can go for parental guidance. There's, there's psychologists, there's sociologists, there's you know, government authorities, there's, there's so many things, there's social agencies, and we can go on and on and on and on, places we can go. Some of us just raise our kids the way our parents raised us. And, and if you come from a godly home, that's a good thing. They had good examples. But if not, you just, I, I know I started that way, just raising my kids the way my mother raised me. Just comes natural. But the Bible warns you and I about following human authority. And again, if... If it's a godly example, that's a different story. I'm talking about an ungodly lifestyle, an ungodly character that, that we shouldn't be following. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23 says, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We're not able to plan our own course. Not able to plan our own course. There's people that we follow and they can't even plan their own course they're not saved. You have to understand no man is as wise as God. We have God's word to bring direction to our lives. We have God's word to bring direction and instruction to you and I. Third thing I want to look at real quick is training your child, the process. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Says, and now a word to your to you parents. I want you to listen to this. This is the word of God. This isn't me. And now a word to you parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord Himself approves, with suggestions and godly advice. I'm not saying don't spare the rod because the Bible says to do that. There's a time and a place for everything, but it also tells us to be careful with our scolding and our nagging. We need to encourage our children. We need to encourage our grandchildren. Encouragement is a powerful thing, church. It's a powerful thing. It's a tool that can really make incredible impact on a person's life when you can learn and be a person that encourages. First Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter two and verse 11 says, for for you know that we doubt with each of you as, as a father deals with his own children. Listen to what he says, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He says, we encouraged you. We comforted you like a father. The word encouraged in the original Greek is parakileo. Parakileo. Parakileo means to stand beside. When you encourage somebody, you stand beside them. You exhort them, but in the right way. You come to one's aid. What a great picture. Standing, 
Somebody standing behind you encouraging you. Don't, don't you like that? How many of your half-friends that just always put you down and give you a hard time? Make fun of the way you dress, the way you talk. None of us. We want friends that make us feel good, don't you? You want friends that always make you feel good. That's why you hang out with them. That's why you do things. That's why they're your friend, because you hang out with them. They make you laugh. You have great conversation. They make you feel good. They encourage you. They don't always put you down. You know, wives, you can talk to your friend and go, you know what my husband did, and they'll laugh with you. Your friend. Comfort you. There's an article that said, it was talking about Jackie Robinson, the old, old Dodger baseball player, one of the original out of the Brooklyn Dodgers. It said Jackie Robinson was the first black man to play Major League Baseball. While breaking baseball's color barrier, he faced booing crowds in every situation. While playing one day in his home stadium in Brooklyn, he committed an error. He literally dropped the baseball. His own fans began to ridicule him. He stood at second base, humiliated, while they booed. Right then, his teammate, Pee Wee Reese, came over, stood next to him. He put his arm around Jackie Robinson and faced the crowd. Fans grew quiet. Robinson later said that arm around his shoulder saved his career. Just a little bit of encouragement to our children just encouraging our grandchildren just does something for them. It just does something for them. Let me ask us a question. I'm including myself. Let me ask us this question. How good are you at encouraging? Just think about it. How good are you at encouraging? James tells us not to, not to deceive ourselves, so don't start patting yourself in the back. Just really, honestly, think about it. How good are you encouraging? Even better than that, would your children say that you're a good encourager? Is that one, is that one of the adjectives they would use to describe you? So, so you know, describe your mom. Oh, she's an encourager. Does, does that kind of sound ridiculous? How's your dad? He's an encourager, man. He's always there helping me out. So the question is, is how do you encourage? What do we do? How, how do we encourage? Well, the first thing we do when we encourage, we encourage with our presence. You know, parents, grandparents, just being there, just being there does something. It just does something for our kids. Just, just, just being in the prayer, just, just there to encourage them. Shows them that we care. Shows them that we love them. And I know sometimes that, that might sound ridiculous, but it's not. Just, just, just being at their events. The school has something. Just make that effort. You know, you take off time to go fishing. Take off time, you know, Black Friday to go shopping. Take off time because, you know, you just wake up in the morning, I don't feel like going to work today. So you stay home and encourage yourself, don't you? 
sit there and watch Maury all morning long, you know, just, is that the more encouraging than watching Maury? Encouraging them, being there. Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28, been in prison for, he's been in prison for three years. They're transferring him now, they're taking him to Rome. He's been in prison already for three years. They're taking him to Rome to put him in a different prison and to try him again. In Acts chapter 28, verse 15, Apostle Paul says, the brothers in Rome had heard we were coming and came to meet us. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When the Apostle Paul saw these men coming to visit him, he thanked God. They came to see him. He was encouraged. It did something. He thanked God immediately. It gave him courage to keep going forward. And the same thing happens to our children and our grandchildren. We are just there. Just being there. The hospital room with them. For them to look out in the audience and see you. Be at home. If they behave enough, take them shopping with you. Come to church with them. Just being there encourages them. Second of all, we encourage with our touch. There's something about the human touch, people. There's just something about the human touch. Just a hand on the shoulder, just a hug, just anything. And, and for s- those of you that are huggers, and you know, this might sound ridiculous to you, but there are those that aren't. I can always tell when a man doesn't, know, doesn't hug. Because I, 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 I like hugging. You guys know that. Hey, man, how you doing? We're actually reaching into your pockets, but that's, that's a whole other story. By the way, thank you for this coat. But anyways... I can tell. Go to hug a man, he's like, it's like, I feel like I'm hugging a door or something, you know what I mean? Like, like, something about the human touch. Bible tells us that Jesus, when he saw the lepers and when he went to talk with them, he touched them. He touched them. He, he didn't heal them when he touched them. That wasn't why he was touching them to heal them, because the Bible says that he sent them away. He touched them. And that was amazing, because back then, nobody touched lepers. In fact, when they got leprosy, they sent them away. If somebody with leprosy was walking down the street, the people got on the other side of the street, they wouldn't even look at them. They wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't get close to them. The Bible says that Jesus touched them. Because that does something. There's something about hugging. There's something about touching. Remember that bumper sticker? I don't see him that much anymore. Remember that bumper sticker and it asked the question, have you hugged your kid today? Remember that one? Have you ever, let me ask you, have you? Have you? Have you hugged your kid today? Grandparents, if you're with your grandchildren, have you hugged your grandchildren? I have the blessed opportunity to see my grandchildren every day. 
That's the first thing I always do. I want them to get used to hugging. I did. My parents taught me that. We didn't leave the house without hugging them and giving them a kiss goodbye. We didn't walk into the house without doing it. And I still do that. We still do that. My brothers and my sister, every time we see each other, that's what we do, man. We hug and kiss each other. Me on the cheek. We're not like... (laughs) We're not weird. (laughs) Hug your kids, parents. Hug them. Hug them. Touch them. Hold them. Third of all, how do we encourage? We, we need to comfort our children. You know, I, I know some of these things may sound like kind of crazy, but it's not. You'd be surprised how many parents don't talk, they don't encourage, they don't hug, they don't touch, and you need to. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Apostle Paul is saying this for a reason. The people weren't used to being comforted, and he says, in Christ, you get comforted. He comforts us. He takes care of us. He's there. He comforts us. Our God is a comforter. We know that. For some of us, the moment we walked into the church before we were saved, we felt something. And people say that all the time. They go, man, I just walked into the church, and it was different. It felt different. They felt comforted. There's people that have told me, I, the moment I walked into your church, I knew this is where I was going to stay. This was home. They felt comforted. God comforts us, but sometimes we need more than that. Our children need us to comfort them also. When they fall, we need to comfort them. When they fail, we need to comfort them. When they get hurt emotionally or physically, we need to comfort them. We need to be there for them. Your comfort at at that particular moment when they are down, they don't need to be scolded. They don't need to be yelled at. They need to be comforted. Because when you and I go before Christ and we are hurting and we're all messed up, does he start yelling at us? No. Even when we messed up, we immediately feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit going, settle down. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. It's important that your children see your home as a place of comfort. It's important that they see it as a place of comfort. Remember when you fell down and you got hurt? Where'd we always run to? We always ran home. You know, because, again, those of us are older, when we played, we never played in the house. It was always outside, down the road, down the street. You know, my dad used to say, you can go outside and play, but when I whistle, you better hear me. So we can only go as far as the whistle. When the street lights come on, you better be home. That was, the, that was our restrictions. We need to hear his whistle, and we need to be home before the street lights. Our kids don't go any further than from the kitchen to the, wherever their PlayStation is at. 
So they, they, only, they only, the only hurt they get is they probably got a blister on their thumb or whatever it is they play with. But we used to get hurt. Remember, we got, we got hurt. Our kids don't know what a stitch is. I think those of us that are older, we got stitches all over our body. Grandpa, what's that? Well, one day I was climbing a tree. We ran home. We got hurt. We ran home. We go and show our mother. She'd wash it off, clean it up, put a Band-Aid on it, told us we were going to be okay. We got comforted, didn't we? We were comforted. Told us we were going to be okay. You're not going to die. Stop crying. <laughs> Home was always a place of comfort. Church, let me tell you, as our children get older, as our grandchildren grow up, they still get hurt. When they do, they should be, should be our goal to make them feel comforted. So what legacy are you leaving behind? What are you leaving behind? Second Timothy chapter one and verse five says these words. Is Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy and he says, I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Timothy had the example of his grandmother and his mother that was transferred into his life. The example was there. You know, we, some of us, I, I think, have, have made wills. We know we're going to die, and as you start to get older, and I was encouraged to get a will only because I've, you know, I've talked to people in the church and other things, and and family members have passed away, and there was no will, and, and there was just a lot of confusion, a lot of hurt, uh, you know, just as it went through probate and all of these things, and it just took so long, and, and they were always told, if you just, you need to get, a, they sh your parents should have got a will, your family members should have got a will, it would have made everything so much easier. Now it takes years of legal battles to settle everything down. And so it's good to get a will, and I'm sure some of you probably have a will, and it's, it's it, you know, you, you, you tell everybody what you have and how you're going to pass it on to the next generation. And so we also have a spiritual will, church, that we're going to pass on to our children, to our grandchildren, things that we want to give them. There should be godly attributes that we want to pass on. Godly qualities, godly principles that we have learned in our lives and we pass on to our children, our grandchildren. Let me tell you something else about a physical will. And this is important. Uh, my wife and I just recently did a will. I was only able to pass on, I don't have a whole lot of stuff, but I was only able to pass on what I own. See, I wasn't able on this will, I didn't say, and to my son, I leave my neighbor's Lexus. <laughs> and to my daughter, I, I leave her the, the you know, I, I think my neighbor across the street has a lot of money, so whatever is in his bank account, I leave it to her. You can only pass on 
what belongs to you. You can only pass on what you have. All I was able to pass on is what I have. And parents and grandparents, you can only pass on what you have. Spiritually. You, 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 you can't pass on to your grandchildren and say, listen, I, I'm leaving you the lifestyle of Pastor Richard Salazar. Do what he does. That doesn't work. They need to see it in your life. The most important thing you can do for your family, the most important thing you can do for your children, the most important thing you can do for your grandchildren is to grow in your own faith. You grow in your own faith. You allow God to change your life. Have something authentic to pass down. Not, not hypocr- Don't be a hypocrite. Have something authentic to pass down to your children, to your grandchildren. By doing this, they're able to, you're able to give them something that they'll be able to have for the rest of their life. As this worship team comes up, if you can come up real quick. I'm going to close with this. Parents, grandparents, don't, don't merely leave something to your children and your grandchildren. Leave something in them. Leave something in them. That's what God has called us to do. Leave something in them. As we allow God to change our lives, as we allow God to to do a miracle in our lives, they will see that. It will affect their lives for the rest of their lives. And you will leave them a godly inheritance. It's our responsibility, parent. It's our responsibility, grandparent. That's what we do. We pass on what God has given us, not things, godly things. It's the best thing you can do for your children. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight.